This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we've come to the end of another year, 2022. We're going to do our end of the year special, wrapping up a lot of different main stories that we covered this year and also giving some predictions for 2023. We're going to talk about the, you know, the the big one of the big stories, obviously, is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the humanitarian crises that are deepening there. We're going to talk about the economic crisis around inflation and recession that is gripping the United States and the rest of the world. We're also going to talk about the election. If and this is hard to believe uh, when we say this, yet the most racist, Islamophobic, and hateful Israeli government ever elected, which is hard to believe given the history of its apartheid practices. And we're going to talk about global warming, as well as the radical U.S. Supreme Court and some of their decisions to take away rights, constitutional rights from women in this country. But before we get to that, I know it's a lot, we're going to watch an interview that you did with Miss Palestine, Miss Palestine Earth and Water. This is Nadine, Nadine Ayoub, who's crowned Miss Palestine. This is the first time someone from Palestine has been um, ranked in one of the big four pageants, Miss World, Miss Unifor, Miss Universe, Miss International, and Miss Earth. Uh, she really sees this as an opportunity to represent Palestine, Palestinian culture, artists, and designers globally. It's a, it's a really great interview. Yeah, it's absolutely a great interview. She has a big role to play. And I should uh, yeah, just caution our listeners and viewers that we are speaking on three different continents. So so the quality of audio might not, might not be the best uh, when we are yeah. in the studio, but we are, you are in the United States and I'm in Europe and I spoke to Miss Palestine, Miss, Miss Earth, water and she was in qatar so which is which is in asia for those who don't know some of the geography here anyway let's watch uh, nadine ayub miss universe miss world miss international and miss earth these are the alpha pageants or sometimes called the big four each has its own crown each its own pose it advocates for. Miss Earth promotes environmental awareness and protection. In a groundbreaking first, Miss Palestine Nadine Ayoub was crowned Miss Earth Water in 2022. She is the first Palestinian to rank in any of the big four. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Nadine Ayoub. Nadine is a model and fitness trainer from Ramallah. She had no pageant experience before competing in Miss Earth but saw it as an opportunity to represent Palestinian culture, artists, and designers globally. She was proud Miss Earth Water. Nadim, uh, welcome to Arab Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First, let me congratulate you uh, for being the first Palestinian contestant to rank in the one of the Alpha pageants. This is amazing, really. And to be queen uh, championing, uh, environment causes uh, makes it uh, that much more special. Uh, Nadine, you are Miss Earth Water 22 
tell us about Miss Earth. What is it involved in? What is involved in participating in the competition for one of the Okay. So Miss Earth, of course, um, any beauty competition um, or, you know, I like to cause it nowadays. Uh, beauty competitions have um, have become more about advocacies and about humanitarian causes um, as women have developed and made their um, role in the world. So has what, they, what we call beauty competitions. And Miss Earth really focuses on environmental advocacies, so raising awareness about climate change um, and the climate crisis. And they want their delegates or their beauty queens to, to focus and use their, um, use their power and their role to, to um, educate their societies and communities about environmental protection and its importance. So each of us had to have an advocacy and I'll explain to you more about my advocacy and what I did uh, during my um, my Miss Earth journey and till now. Yeah, so so if you had to say something like one thing or two things, what distinguishes Miss Earth from other pageants, what would you say? The focus on environmental protection and also they are the most difficult or one of the most difficult, I guess, um, uh, competitions to win because you know during during the competition especially the in-person one you are you know you're going from island to island um and you're you know you're in you're in nature and you have to be able to um be in nature and do these activities and it's like a full schedule all day schedule uh, going even to conferences and talking about um, the environment and being a spokesperson. So you have to show that you're able to be a speaker and a an environmental advocate. And at the same time, of course, you have like the the beauty queen aspect, <laughs> the the look. So I think it's um it's it's difficult in that way, but it's also very uh, relevant in today's world where the where the climate crisis is becoming worse. Yeah. So uh, so I actually talk about this criteria. One of the criteria that makes a pageant one of the big four is the relevance of its cause. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think environmental awareness has raised the profile of Miss Earth? I mean, do you think that this is really oh. one item that raised its profile? Definitely, definitely it raised its profile because these days especially everything is about um, or there's a lot of campaigns and there's a lot of organizations with a focus of environmental protection because of global warming and where the world is headed. And I think today, in today's world, it's even more relevant. So definitely, I think that beauty competitions in general, when we say beauty, it's not just, it's not about beauty as in physical, just physical beauty of the of a woman. It's, it's about the beauty that she brings to her world, to her community, um, the beauty that she shows about her culture and her country. So when we use the word beauty, it's a beauty of many things. It's not only looks. Were you involved in environmental causes uh, uh, before uh, this pageant? In other words, was this a prerequisite for entering uh, the Miss Earth pageant? Or did the pageant um, raise your yeah. Um, it wasn't necessarily a prerequisite. I think that in at, at least like the prerequisite was a, uh, the delegates to have a cause and to have a love for the environment and to at least have some type of connection to to these types of causes. Like for me as a nutrition consultant, fitness instructor, and even as a Palestinian, um, 
you know, our culture, we're, we're very close to the land. And actually, it's it's a huge part of our culture. It's the main the main themes of Palestinian culture is actually nature. And I think that um, whether I was whether I got elected to be in Miss Earth or not, um, I am a um, an environmentalist just being a Palestinian. So so it's uh so I think it's it's a prerequisite in that at least you have the wanting to care and you're on that track. And I think with me, with Miss Earth, I just I use the platform to um, raise more awareness or to to start campaigns in Palestine about environmental protection. Actually, this was like uh, my second question, because this is a segue to uh, the Palestinian society, as, as you've mentioned, mm-hmm. historically Palestine society was always close uh, to the land, uh, farming, mm-hmm. art, uh, the trees. Uh, that's another. Uh, yeah. Uh, Even t- on, on environmentally yeah. sustainable practices. Uh, mm-hmm. talk, talk to us about. It. Definitely, that's something actually that I had to speak about in the intelligence and Q and A round um, online, which you can also see on Instagram. You know, a lot of people. They see the the you know my walk on stage or or the 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 photo shoots and stuff, but there's actually a lot of the the competition that has to do with Q and A and these types of questions, and I and you know my answer. So there was this you know the, the Q and A judge, and they asked me, you know, being Palestinian, um, you know, with with the situation and the, the political situation, how. Um, how are they able or how are you able to convince them to, t- to care about the environment because they may have other things that are on their mind and my question my answer sorry was actually being palestinian before anything is being an environmentalist we are in essence environmentalist as indigenous people of the land so we actually hold indigenous values related to to the land so for example we have been practicing agriculture since since a long time ago, since Pal- you know, since we, um, we our ancestors have practiced that, eighty thousand families rely on olive trees to live and to ha- to get an income. Um, we are uh, a very a farming society, and I think for and I told him for me, it's actually about encouraging Palestinians to stay holding on to these roots because with the industrial revolution and cities and all, people are starting to be more you know, um, to let go of, of this farming and go into more industrialized uh, societies. But I like to encourage Palestinians to stay holding on to um, their love for the land. And and they are, but it's so important to keep that. And, and the, the fact of the matter is we love our land and we see this in themes of literature, our history, our art. It's always there. And even our cuisine, where it's so related to the land, it's not like we just eat right like a palestinian dish it's like it's there and we eat it we literally know like okay this (laughs) this plant came from here and the reason why we use this ingredient is because of this we're very in touch with it with nature right especially now we live in a such a disposable world i mentioned earlier uh tatris aside with for our listeners who don't know what tatris that's embroidery every town every village has its own Mm -hmm design for their dresses but this is reusable because women in palestine they keep their grand 
mother's uh, dresses and so forth and they reuse them for weddings and other occasions mm. and we live in a society now you buy something you wear it for a couple of months two three months and you pass it away definitely definitely um i actually um i had to bring an auction um item with me to miss earth and what i did is i got a, a frame and i had tetris in it to um represent nature to represent our love for nature because as you said the colors the type of even material that we use depends on the resources around us so you know back then the reason why certain colors were related to certain villages was because of the environment because that was the, the those were the resources available and so that by itself is, is a type of sustainable fashion and i explained and i have to you know write give them a note and explain all of this to them and i told them when when we do when um Arab women did this, it was also a self-expression and it was their way to be part of history, to pass down their, their, um, um, or to show the world that they can also be, um, a part of giving to their family. They have talents and it's, it's, um, it's really a way of expression. Take us back to, uh, Miss Palestine. So of course, before you enter this uh, pageant and you yeah. became Miss Palestine, uh, mm-hmm. What took you there? So uh, we have we have to keep in mind that in order to be you know a Miss Palestine, like a Jamal Palestine, you have to enter in these four competitions. Like there has to be a possibility to go to either Miss Earth, World, Universe, or um, or international. Like those are the the big four. And what happened was throughout the years, a lot of Palestinian uh, girls were applying to the organization, and. Um, and a lot of the times it's they didn't have the certain requirements certain standards because being palestinian it's so hard because okay you have to be able to be in palestine at the same time you need to be able to travel and there's just a lot of requirements um that i can't say everything <laughs> here but but i think once i went to miss europe continental and i got um in top five they really wanted me to apply to be miss palestine and because I had the the requirements, you know, I won. And this has actually been a process since 2016. So um, finally, they allowed Palestine to be represented in these big four pageants. What has your, uh, what has your support from Palestine been like? I've had a lot of supporters. Of course, there's always going to be, like, no matter what, no matter where I'm from, there's going to be criticism and there's going to be positivity, but I've been getting more positivity and support. And a lot of proud like proud palestinians you know i don't think they expected um a win to be honest um i think for them that was like that was huge because it's an international competition and it's extremely hard to win it's it's the hardest actually as i said it's the hardest beauty competition to win and even me i was like wow did this really happen right because i was standing with very strong contenders very strong countries that are ranking like they've won before so for me to be standing there with palestine on my sash i'm like you know i'm very happy because i uh, i worked hard i I worked very very hard for months and i knew that the weight of me winning has to be all on me it has to be me nadine pulling palestine to get to that to that place so i was you know super proud and exhausted but very happy so now uh, you as as the first you are such an in- inspiration to others uh, uh, how important is being a role model to 
young Palestinian girls and women. Very important to me. I think that's something that one of the main things that inspires me. And that's why for me, as I said, beauty compositions is showing the beauty of your people. It's giving, it's how you can make a positive impact on the humanitarian aspects in the world and not only looks of course we you know we're us women let's be honest we love to look good <laughs> we love to take photos um you know and all of that and we love the glam and everything but we have to always we are also nurturing women are nurturing not just you know we don't just uh, physically be able to look good but we also are able to help our our communities and so for me that's how i want to inspire young girls and i want to inspire them by showing them that no matter what um obstacles are in your way being palestinian or whatever you can do it you are you have the strength to be able to get there like you know and i think if every palestinian woman and woman in the world you know i i i want to be a role model for all girls in the world if you put your mind to it you're you're going to achieve it you chose uh up the book Uh, or take a, uh, or you chose to take a non-political role, uh, and you can't mention the word Palestine without politics being inserted in that. Everyone mm-hmm. that Palestinians live under a harsh occupation, and you talked about even travel. You know, many Palestinians cannot even travel; they cannot even leave the country. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of Palestinians not. So, how do you how do you navigate? Um. So for me, I was I was speaking yesterday about why for me my role is not a political one, and it's because I I see the media and the Palestinian media in general as a team, and um, and I think that there's pages and there's platforms where like like yourself and a lot of other Palestinian plat- political platforms where they speak about. these things and these um, the political circumstances in Palestine. And that is so important and it has to happen. But also, we also have to have pages that show other sides, the beauty of Palestine and how we can relate to the world outside because there has to be a balance in order for the message to be as impactful and powerful. Not every page has to talk about everything, right? If that happens, then the message will be will get lost in in translation to the world we like for example my platform is to show the culture the beauty the the fashion the you know the talents that we have in palestine um and that's what i want my message to be and i see the media and social media and all all other influencers with me as a team and that that's my role um I want the world to actually know the palestinian identity outside of the politics and the suffering that we're facing. I want to humanize and I want to show them the human side because that's how I feel they will relate and sympathize. There has to be a a balance. And I see now there's a lot of Palestinian artists out there and that's what they're focused on. That's what their page is. It's their music or their art or whatever. And And I think that balanced with the media that's about The politics is what's going to make the message stronger. Absolutely, and and you're such also a, I mean, great representative. For, Thank you. The culture and art. Uh, I have to ask: uh, Does the pageant give you uh, resources and support for projects, for example, uh, 
individuals with expertise or like wildlife conversation, yes, with etc. Yes, they do. They definitely connect us. And you know, I've got I've made so many connections through Miss Earth. And you know, my reign, what we call it, is I'm Miss Earth. Uh, sorry, I'm Miss Earth Elemental title holder for a year. And during this year, I will have a lot of different conferences. Uh, I'll travel. There's going to be a lot of events happening, of course, with them and with other organizations. Um, like for me, I, I really want to also connect with Palestinian organizations um, that are about humanitarian causes or or environment. And it's already happening. I've connected to to many organizations and I will be working with them as well. That's great. Well, you are a queen now. <laughs> so I <have> ask <laughs> you uh, about your crown. You take it with you uh, whenever I you go. <laughs> I ask that because, you know, actually um, a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my fans, especially my Filipi Filipino fans are asking me, why don't you wear your crown? Like, you know, they, they want me to wear it. So I'm going to show you. Yes, I do carry it, <laughs> but it's very safe. I'll show you. Give me one second. <laughs> So um, this is the water crown because there are four winners, four elements. And um, yeah, it's <laughs> you guys will see me now in my in my queen, my queenly uh, phase. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nadine. Yeah. Uh... I wear my sash as well, but here's here's the crown. <laughs> Nadine, thank you for uh, all the important work you do uh, to to make the world a better place in the future, to make every Palestinian and actually everyone in the world very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, you're, you're also doing so amazing. And I think every Palestinian, their contribution does something. And like I said, we're a team together uh, without us working together and um, our cause. We, we, none of us can be successful, you know, with unity, we can get there. So I want to thank you as well. And you did, you're always doing a great job. Thank you. That's the voice and the face of Miss Palestine, Miss Nadine Ayu, the first Palestinian to re represent as a, a contestant in one of the world uh, pageants, you know, Miss World, Miss Universe, Miss International, and now Miss Earth. And uh, she's a remarkable uh, woman, Jamal, with a big and heavy responsibility on her shoulders, but uh, very impressive. Very impressive, uh, very determined, very, uh, very smart. She has a goal, and that's why she was crowned Miss Earth uh, Water and her focus on the environment and sustainability. As you know, Jess, people don't know, but Palestinians lived off the land for decades and for centuries and uh, their entire life, you know, and many of our viewers know the importance of olive oil, embroidery, which we call the trees, uh, water, farming. And, and so she, she tackles this uh, uh, absolutely in a very marvelous way. Uh, moving on, just uh, 20, 20. What a year. Yeah, what a year. 2022. I'm like stuck on 2020. I don't know. Maybe it's COVID. Well, but... that's your, you're still pre-pandemic. <laughs> pre-pandemic. But, uh, you're, but, but we've had almost three years of uh, pandemic now. We're going into the third year of the pandemic. That's obviously the big, big story. Um, 
We're now moving into the third year of the pandemic globally. We're seeing a resurgence in China right now, which changed its policy away from zero COVID to who cares about COVID. And as a result, uh, tens of millions of uh, Chinese uh, nationals are being infected with COVID. The healthcare system is overrun in China. And uh, uh, Xi Jinping has, for whatever reason, done a 180 and completely opened up uh, uh, China now to uh, a tremendous uh, um, kind of exposure to COVID, which could result, Jamal, just for you and our listeners to know, new variants to spread globally right now. So it's also going to impact on one of the big uh, stories of 2022, which is the economy. And you know, it's affecting the global supply chain. It's affecting um, many of the big corporate uh, global, uh, you know, corporations like Apple and and any global company that does, uh, you know, kind of business in tech. So I think we're going into 2023, at least from the China perspective, with China really weakened and uh, economically vulnerable right now. You're absolutely right. We have like so many stories to talk about and, and we're not going to be able to get to all of them. We won't. And, and, and of course, I didn't put, we, we didn't put COVID as, as the number one, but we, can, we cannot ignore the elephant in the room because it seems that a lot of people are ignoring the elephant in the room and want to be kind of like they want to look at COVID in the rear view mirror. Uh, where I am, I don't see anyone wearing masks. <laughs> oh, really? For, for one thing, like people, yeah, like uh, it's life, life basically as pre-2020. And uh, I, I don't think people want to think about it. So, but which we will talk about it actually, because it's still a, a major threat. But before we go there, Jess, I mean, of course, uh, February 24th, which is basically uh, Two months into the year, uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, leading, and I think this is a very big story, and, and st it's still ongoing, leading to a, a global crisis for both. And we talked about that in 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 with a dedicated couple of shows on uh, talking about this major crisis for food, energy, not to mention displacing millions of people, and it. There is no end in sight. Uh, just I no. was watching watching uh, President Zelensky coming to Washington, and the discussion, at least from what I read, what I saw, he's coming to get more support, more weapons, Patriot missiles. We're not talking about this uh, peace talks, resolving the situation. So we're seeing like a prolonged war. I don't know what you think about this, Jess. I think you're absolutely right, Jamal. And one of my unfortunate predictions for 2023 is that the global consequences of the war in Ukraine that Russia is waging now are going to get significantly worse. It's going to get worse for Ukrainians who are living, uh, 90% of the country is, you know, uh, on uh, without power or very unstable power right now. Um, there are food shortages. There are just massive uh, destruction to infrastructure with no end in sight. The Russian economy is in free fall. People are leaving Russia. Uh, people are being, Russian men are being conscripted into the Russian military. 
and there's no sign that anything's going to change, except that Putin has uh, remobilized his troops right now, and they're getting ready in the middle of winter when things are really devastating to launch another offensive. So I think 2023 is looking grim for Ukraine. It's looking grim for Russia, but it's looking grim for the global economy in terms of food and energy, especially oil right now, Jamal, and natural gas. So we can expect that the situation in Ukraine is only going to worsen for Ukrainians and uh, for the world world globally. I I think this is going to be not just a big story, but a devastating story for the world. Which which really uh, segues to the next uh, big story, which is really inflation, just global, the global recession. And, and global, global recession, recession right. which is basically like if you look at it, inflation has been unusually high in countries around the, the world now uh, in 2022. And price price increases in the United States, the U.S., uh, it peaked at more than 9.1% in June and 11.1% in, in the U.K., and similar numbers across Europe or higher numbers, which is totally un- unusual. And, 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 and as you said, 2023 is going to be worse. So I don't know how worse it's going to be when we're talking about almost an average of 10% uh, inflation. And I, uh, I read a tweet by President uh, Biden uh, just a few days ago saying, Hey, uh, have you noticed that your uh, the, the price of uh, gasoline is is lower at the pump? And I'm like, you know, who cares? Yeah, it's good, cares. but who I mean, cares? I mean, it's good, but you know, the average American spends less than three percent of their of his or her budget on gasoline. So what happens to the ninety seven percent, like your mortgage payment, your right. food, your health care, etc.? I mean, what happens to this? Well, you're exactly right, Jamal. And I think this is going to be a huge story next year, which is, you know, it's the global economy. I mean, we're saying recession and inflation, but really what we're talking about is the global economy is in a steep decline right now. And there are many reasons to, you know, for it, obviously. The war uh, in Ukraine is is a big one, but supply chain issues because of the pandemic, realigning geopolitical interests like Russia, uh, China, uh, and Iran kind of realigning themselves, things are changing rather dramatically just in terms of geopolitics and the supply chain in terms of you know the way things work because of globalization. We're now starting to see the downsides of globalization in terms of its impact. When one thing goes wrong, there's a domino effect, uh, you know, systemically throughout the system. So I I think you're right. I think, you know, my prediction for next year, despite uh, Joe Biden's rosy um, uh, kind of optimism about the reduction in gas prices, gas prices are going to go back up. Russia just announced that they're going to cut supply again, which is going to increase the price. We have, as in the United States, has no friend in Saudi Arabia, that's for sure. Uh, So I think, unfortunately, for everyday people in the United States and for people globally who who struggle every day just trying to make ends meet, 2023 is going to be really tough again, Jamal. And uh, we'll be covering this story because it's not just the price of gas, as you said, it's the price of food, it's the price of 
everything that it costs to survive in the world right now. And uh, we're going to take a big hit, unfortunately. And staying with the with the U.S. politics, and <laughs> <laughs> since we're on that topic, <laughs> I mean, would you have imagined in the year we would 2022 say I know. that the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn abortion rights? I'm just, this is like... Well, I mean, but it's but it's not just abortion rights, right, Jamal? I mean, you know, there in the history of the United States, there there is nowhere where the uh, Supreme Court has taken away a right that was granted to a citizen of this country. So basically, if you look at the history of the Constitution in the United States, it's a it's an evolution to grant people more constitutional rights, more rights, more protections over time. This is really the first time in the modern era where the Supreme Court has taken away a right of an individual of half, more than half of the people living in the United States who no longer have control over, who no longer have the ability to determine what goes in or out of their bodies, who controls their bodies. And, you know, it's under the cover of this crazy, not crazy idea, but really kind of perverse idea that we don't have a constitutional right to decide what's right for our bodies. The states have the right. This is the whole dilemma, the whole kind of controversy versus federal rights versus state rights. And the Republicans are jumping on this to say states should decide everything, including voting rights, which is another thing that the Supreme Court is going to be deciding this year soon, next year, 2023. My prediction for 2023 is that this extremist right-wing uh, Supreme Court is going to get more extreme. There's going to be more attacks on on rights. Uh, there's going to be attacks on women's rights. There's going to be attacks on voting rights. And there's going to be attacks on protecting the rights of people, uh, you know, communities of color and uh, disadvantaged communities. So I think we're looking to some dramatic changes in the erosion of constitutional rights for 2023, Jamal. So if you consider... Uh... The basic right for a woman to choose, right, is taken bye bye. away, and bye bye, uh, yeah, and and would that define it under human rights? Because that's a human rights, a human right that has been taken away. Can we still lecture the world on human rights? Well, I don't know if we can lecture the world on on anything these days, Jamal. When you look at the United States. Uh, the way they've engaged in foreign policy, this will lead to our next kind of segment. If you look at the United States and how it supports rogues, despots, uh, despotic rulers, and really kind of um, extremist regimes, whether it be the medieval state of Saudi Arabia, the medieval monarchy of Saudi Arabia, or the apartheid state of Israel, um, you know, people are saying more and more, who is the United States to lecture to us about human rights when it continues to engage in a pattern of practice of taking away rights from its own citizens and supporting uh, these rogue, uh, despotic uh, leaders? I mean, we're, we'll get into it, Jamal, in terms of what's happening in the apartheid state of Israel. But I want to remind you and our listeners, 10 years ago, you and I were on a panel at the Commonwealth Club talking, it was over 10 years ago, I guess I'm dating ourselves now, we were invited to talk about the election of Benjamin Netanyahu and its implication for the uh, for the world and for the Middle East. And I remember you and I being in the minority at the time saying, hey, 
this is this is gonna um you know uncover the true reality of the apartheid racist extremist nature of the apartheid state and you and i took a lot of heat for saying that because uh, a lot of people said oh no that's not true it's a democracy you know it has self writing you know uh, abilities it'll get the right course it's our only democracy it's our great ally how could you say that well jamal a decade plus later look at what look at the government that got gets elected extremist hateful islamophobic racist i mean you know they're going to pass a law in the israeli knesset jamal that's going to legalize incitement to violence against palestinians Palestinians in Gaza, in the West Bank, and Palestinians who happen to have Israeli citizenship. It's going to be legal for an Israeli politician to incite to violence. So I think this is a huge story. Again, Not, uh, Exactly. This is a, a, one of our top stories for 2022. And it's actually also the story, you know, which we should remind everyone that Israel, for the first time ever, despite all the Hasbara and despite all the surrogates who try to whitewash its crimes, it has been certified as an apartheid state by its own human rights organization, B'Tselem, by Human Rights Watch, by the United Nations, by Amnesty International. So despite all of this, despite all of this denial, Israel is an apartheid state. That's by, the, by, by international standards, Jess. And now the new government is just adding I don't know, dotting uh, the eyes and and you know whatever on this last on this definition, but also the extremists that they are bringing. I'm not talking about extremists. I'm talking about terrorists. I'm talking about actually criminals, criminals, criminals by by Israeli definition. Well, that's right, Jamal. Criminals and, and by Israeli definition, not by our definition, not by the interna international absolutely. definition. And now I want to see how are they going to receive Ben Gvir in the United States? You know, I mean, I mean, this is all like we're seeing a little bit of statements by the State Department and others saying, oh, they are dismayed or whatever. But I, sooner or later, you're going to see Ben Gvir and 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 uh, and others of this uh, of his entourage entering the United States when they are blatantly racist, blatantly call for violence against Palestinians, and the laws that you are talking about, they've been implementing them just a couple of days ago. They they uh, deported to France a human rights a Palestinian human rights activist from Jerusalem, basically with you know as as. You know, Jerusalemites, Palestinian Jerusalemites have old Israeli IDs. They rejected his, you know, this guy lived, was born in Jerusalem, lived all his life in Jerusalem. They deported him to France. Well, this, this goes to show you, Jamal, that um, what we've been talking about for decades now on Arab Talk and trying to bring reality and to lift the kind of uh, screen of denial that this country and the world political leaders have with the apartheid state 
that screen, there's no screen anymore. They, you have Benjamin Netanyahu, who's been kind of charged with multiple felonies. He's kind of doing the Trump move. He's he's been reelected to forestall or to put on hold a lot of these charges that could send him and his wife to jail. But in order to do so, he had to cobble together a coalition of terrorists. I mean, there's no other way to call it. These are individuals who incite to violence. It's like it's even worse than what happened in this country with Trump in January 6th. These are people who actively promote and advocate and get away with killing Palestinians, taking Palestinian land, you know, destroying Palestinian livelihood by destroying olive trees and farmland. farmland. The illegal colonial settlers in the West Bank, you know, approaching one million illegal co colonial settlers and the theft of Palestinian land is gonna be codified now in the past, it just they just got away with it. Now they're going to make it legal to be a terrorist. So you could be an Israeli terrorist legally now, uh, before you just got away with it. Now they're they're codifying it, making it into law. And Benjamin Net Netanyahu just said yesterday one of the first things he's going to do is take away that law banning incitement to violence. So that's going to be one of the first things. The second thing he's going to do, Jamal, is annex the settlements in the West Bank, which is not just illegal, but criminal, criminal uh, at an international level. So my prediction for 2023, unfortunately, is the same prediction I give every year, Jamal, which is the United States will do nothing. We'll do absolutely nothing. We'll let this rogue state get away literally with murder uh, and the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I'm with you on this one. I, I I haven't seen a single statement really. Nothing that shows anything that the United States is going to do, uh, and 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 basically they have done nothing. They have done nothing on, you know, we here we go and condemn Russia for annexing parts of the Ukraine, and yet we turn a blind eye on the annexation of uh, the Syrian Golan Heights, and. East Jerusalem and, and all these settlements. Uh, Trump moved the embassy into the U.S. embassy into Jerusalem, and we don't see anything happening around that. No, saying, but Biden is is letting it go forward, Jamal. Yeah, it's He's letting not it go it. forward. And which, by the way, which is another topic, it's got, it's being uh, it's it occupies. It's being built on a stolen Palestinian land. And then they're saying, oh, we're going to just have the consulate. And they actually haven't even enforced that. They haven't even brought back the Jerusalem consulate. They just uh, assigned a representative in, in, right. in Ramallah. Uh, anyway, I'm sure we have a lot to talk about it. But wait, coming... wait, wait, I know, but I have one more prediction. What's it? Well, I have to make my Trump prediction for 2023, Jamal. Since I've been right for six years now, seven years, I've been right on every prediction having to do with Donald Trump. Despite all of his economic problems, despite all of his legal problems, despite all of these, I predict that he will continue to be the presumptive 2024 nominee for the Republican Party. That's that I don't see anything stopping him. Well, a nominee is different uh, from making it well, the presidency. Well, yeah, However, well, I'll wait. I'll wait till twenty twenty four on that one. I'm, I'm but gonna, I'm... I'm gonna challenge you on this one. I <laughs> predict, <laughs> which I've lost last challenge, but I think 
I'm more predicting that he's gonna be indicted, and he's gonna he, get he will get indicted. Yeah, and, I, I think that's true. He will get indicted, but and, it won't stop him. Why? Why not? I mean, I think I think that's gonna play a major role. Without the indictment, I will be with you a hundred percent. Well, here's but, the thing: an indictment think, is not a conviction, so you can get indicted. That's fine. I but think he will be indicted and he will be convicted. There is so much dirt coming out from his tax returns to all the shenanigans. And and also Jared Kushner will be also indicted. That uh, I agree. With, with, Kushner you know, will get indicted too. So I think all these will come up sooner or later. It all depends on how fast the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, Justice Department Justice can come Department, through. Justice Department, exactly, will, will I'm, work I'm on not, this. I'm not confident. So I mean, every, but, everything you every page you turn is full of dirt. Every yeah, single page on on this file is full of dirt. So I don't know. Well, I uh, I can't agree with I can't disagree with you, Jamal. But I have news for you that he will continue to be the presumptive, even if indicted. Uh, will continue to be the presumptive nominee for the Republican Party. Well, but, everybody then in the United States should run for president and should pay <laughs> zero taxes. You know, seven hundred fifty dollars worth of taxes. Yeah, so that's hundred, great. So hundreds, hundreds of millions, millions of dollars of income, and then at the end of the the day, show losses. Okay, and then make it to the to White House. president of the United States. It's un unbelievable. Anyway. Our last focus, because we're running out of time, just is and will be. It's actually two stories in one, which is really record-breaking heat waves and drought around the world. Yeah, I mean, Jamal, this goes back to your interview with Miss Palestine Earth uh, um, and Water, because um, we are still as a as a world community in deep denial about climate change, about drought, and about the heat waves. Uh, but I'll just say climate change because, you know, you're in Europe right now, but what you missed in the last two days here in, in the United States is a record-breaking cold and snowstorm that just decimated uh, the upper Midwest and the upper Northeast. Um, you know, almost 30 people have died. Power is out. Uh, it's just devastating. And what people don't realize is that the new normal now is cataclysmic climate change. And we're seeing record uh, melting of, uh, of ice and snow in the Arctic in the north. Uh, we're seeing sea level, you know, changes that are just wiping out communities on the eastern seaboard. And at least here in California on the West Coast, unbelievable drought. And the Colorado River is at a point now where they may have to shut the Hoover Dam down because there's not enough water to keep it going. So we're, in my humble opinion, this, this may in fact be the big story for 2023. Not that these things are happening, but the fact that we're all in denial about how bad this is. Just to add to the points you made, this past summer produced Europe's worst drought in 500 years, with two-thirds of the continent experiencing some sort of extreme heat warning. That's in Europe. In China, 
factories were forced to shut down in August due to decreased water levels around right. the Yangtze River Basin, so which curbed electricity generation at, at uh, hydropower plants. So, you know, it's, not, it's bad. It's, it's everywhere. Well, and, but, but look at the famine in Africa right now. The drought is so bad in Africa, Jamal. You have millions of Africans in the East. Uh, you know, I mean, the tragedy is just unbelievable. And this is connected to the war in Ukraine, too, because there's not enough grain to get to people who are starving. The people in Africa are starving because of the drought. I mean, it's all interconnected, obviously. But this, you know, because of this globalized system that we're in, it's going to affect all of us. And we just have to stop being in denial about how bad it is. Especially when on November 15th, the world surpassed 8 billion people. It's a lot of people, man. And I don't know how sustainable it is, to be honest. You've been listening to, uh, I should say, first of all, we want to wish all our listeners and viewers happy holidays and, and a happy new year because uh, next time we'll speak to them will be in 2023. Yes. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website arabtalkradio.com to download the latest episodes and we'll speak to you next year. Speak to you next year.